Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Some programming tasks are hard to start, either because there are a lot of unknowns, because the team hardly knows each other, or because there are a lot of knowledge gaps in the team. In this episode, we're going to discuss mob programming, why you'd use it, and why you might not want to use it. But before we get started, Will, what's been mobbing you lately? I don't know about anything mobbing me, but I do want to point our listeners towards a friend of mine's new album. I grew up with this guy, McMinnville, and the album is called Timeless, and it's by Drifting in Silence, and you can check that out, driftinginsilence.bandcamp.com. I grew up with a guy that did this, and I listened to it, and it's actually pretty good music for like deep work type coding. Yeah. So I wanted to throw that out there just kind of as a uh, thing for people to uh, take a gander at. Better than Ace of Base? It's pretty solid. For coding. Yeah, but not like like frustrated coding, more like, you know, big architecture type. Okay, yeah. I follow, I follow. Actually, I, I, I know of the band, so. Like, when you said that, I was like, you know them? That's cool. I'm not used to you. I grew up with Derek. I know, I'm just saying, I'm not used to you knowing music because you're like, every time we get into a music conversation, you get the same look as when we get into a Doctor Who conversation, just this blank I have nothing to contribute. Surprise. I know. I love it. I like the surprise, man. This is awesome. That's that's really cool. So yeah, that's a cool shout out. And so you guys should definitely check it out. I like I said, I've I have listened to the band before. I didn't know Will was friends with them. That is really awesome. So let's see. What's been going on with me lately? Busy, busy weekend this past weekend. It was Easter. And so Friday, I had the day off, went up to Nashville and hung out all day into the evening. Found out that the Big Bang moved from Broadway over to Printer's Alley, the Dueling Piano Bar. Ah, didn't know we had one of those. You've been there. Have I? Many times with me. At least I can think of three times you've been there. Is that like in college? Uh, no. Well, the last time I remember going was Ewing's birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was probably several drinks in by then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the first place we went that night. Because I didn't know we had a dueling piano bar. (laughs) I feel like that's not portable enough. Like, if you're going to have a dueling instrument, it needs to be something light. (laughs) Banjos, oboes, dueling oboes. Dueling ukuleles. Yeah, there you go. Like, dueling piano. That's like heavy artillery right there. You know, you got to have like the Napoleonic Horse Brigade for that or something. Right, right. It was interesting. Hit the frist in the afternoon. Don't be mad. Went to an Indian place. Which one? It's in the Gulch. It's by the Pinball Bar. I don't even remember the name of it. It was literally across the street from the Pinball Place because we went there after we went to the frist. And we walked over there and saw that it was an Indian place. And we we're both like, I like Indian. So we ended up eating there. And I was like, Will's going to be so mad at me. Yeah. Was it Chahuan Ale and Masala House? That doesn't sound, sound right. 
No. It wasn't in like the farmer's market or on Broadway, right? It was in the Gulch. No, no, no. It was it was down in the Gulch. There's really only that ale and muscle house place. It was really high end, very like hipster high end. Yeah, this is yeah, it's had four and a half out of five stars per Google. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, it was really good. I got the tikka masala and she got the sog. Both were really good. So yeah, I've only had bad Indian food once. That was a tandoori chicken that the chicken had gone bad. Right. That was unfortunate. (laughs) So that was a long, busy day. A lot of fun though. And so Saturday I went to Viking Pizza for a birthday party. You can guess which friend of ours wanted to go there. And so that was interesting to see that crowd again. I hadn't seen them in a while. (laughs) And then... Sunday, of course, was Easter. I spent the whole time outside taking photos of kids. We had like a bunch of, uh, we'd set up these tents. And so like each one was a different station that the kids went to. And then they also did an Easter egg hunt as part of the the process. But uh, pretty much all the photographers were out there for that. And then two of the team, I'm so proud of them because I didn't even think about mentioning it when we were going over stuff. They went inside into like the main auditorium for a little bit and took pictures of the adults. And I, I told them, I'm like, guys, I didn't even think about that. That is some like really great work right there. But uh, did that. And then I got invited to a, a cookout, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's what's going on with me. That's what has, has gone on with me. It was just a, like a nonstop weekend. It was very fun. It's funny. The friends who invited me to the cookout, they're like, thanks for coming. I know you just wanted to relax today. And I was like, I'm an extrovert. This is relaxing to me. And, you know, they all laughed because most of the people there are outgoing introverts like you. Yeah. So they like being around people, but well, I mean, Darius, he's an extrovert too. So like it was the two of us and then like a bunch of outgoing introverts. So that was fun. Saving money is hard, especially when you go to hipster Indian restaurants in the expensive part of town. Oh my goodness, it was so expensive, but it was so worth it, man. Oh, it was so good. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but to take action on that plan so that you can live your best life. Now guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. With the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making those better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. What that means is he's not here to sell you a product, but instead to guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face, and he interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. You can learn even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Mob programming is a technique for getting multiple developers in the room working on the same code. While possibly not the best technique for a lot of situations, it really shines in certain narrow use cases. When it does work, it can often produce impressive results that a few separate developers couldn't produce on their own. 
the collaborative aspect of mob programming are similar to pair programming in some respects with very similar upsides and downsides. Yeah, it's mainly a thing of scale at that point. Right. But in a mob programming session, a stakeholder in the team will first identify the goal of the session, which should be a testable outcome, by the way. Then everyone works together to come up with a general strategy and procedure for getting the work done, including what tools will be used to accomplish that work. This is a critical first step if you want to avoid stopping and rewriting code frequently while everyone else is watching, which, by the way, is very expensive. Yeah. Then when the session begins, everyone goes into a room and works together. One person will be typing for a while while the rest of the team looks at the screen or hopefully a projector or big TV or something while the first person works. They will offer feedback as the first person does some work. The person writing the code will change frequently so that they don't burn out. The rest of the team is there to support the first person as well as to offer feedback about various aspects of the code. In effect, this allows for the session to have the blessing of the entire team and to incorporate the knowledge of the entire team. More tasks will probably be assigned to various team members as a result of the session as well. In this episode, we're going to discuss mob programming, including the roles of team members in a session and how to conduct a mob programming session. Next, we'll discuss what the majority of the team should be doing during the session. Following that, we'll discuss the advantages and disadvantages of mob programming. And then we'll wrap up by explaining how to introduce it to your own team if you actually want to try it out. So first off, the roles in the team. The first one is the mob. And this is not a um, Minecraft mob either. Right. Or an Italian one. Because we don't dress that well. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) Okay. I'll speak for all of us developers. I've seen what we look like. Yeah, the mob (laughs) is used to refer to the entire team. Members who are not in one of the other roles are probably doing things like looking up other information, giving feedback, that kind of stuff. Next is the navigator. And this person is responsible for listening to the discussion and communicating that with the driver. Yeah, I think this is something that's kind of important to point out because you do want to have one person that's sort of the point person for that. Because when you're coding and you got feedback coming in and you're you're hearing all this stuff in the background, you really need to have like one voice that you listen to because otherwise you're not going to get anything done. That's like, oh, crud, what was her name? I can't even remember the actress's name in Galaxy Quest. It was like, my one role is to repeat what the computer says. It's a stupid role, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, this is like that, but it's not a stupid role. I mean, it's really essential. If you've ever had a group of people that did not have this sort of structure and discipline in place talking over you while you're trying to think and work on something, it's horrible. You also need to have a driver um, because that's the person actually doing the typing. In other words, converting the navigator's instructions into code. Yeah. And or other feedback from other team members, potentially, too. Mm -hmm. Now, an optional person that you can have is the champion. And this person's responsible for keeping the mob's discussion on task and telling the group when roles should switch and move around. This would be like a, a parliamentarian. It's almost like a scrum master in a lot of respects. 
you know, again, if your group is disciplined and can actually stay on point, maybe this isn't something to worry about. Although you'd be surprised how often that doesn't happen. You know, you think your group's disciplined and then you get an emotionally charged situation and maybe they're not. And that is not the time to find that out. But it's helpful to have somebody like this and having somebody tell the group when the roles should switch is also important because you'll get drivers who get overly focused on what they're doing. It's like, that's fine, but you need to stop after a while. You rotate other people in because, hey, those people need that experience too. You also have the housekeeper, and this is the person responsible for noting down to-do items. You know, this is stuff like refactorings that need to happen, but aren't in scope for the uh, current mob programming session. Because, you know, again, you don't want scope creep in here, especially with the entire team sitting in a room. And it's actually easier to get scope creep with a big group of people because, you know, like everyone will have their little inputs, their little ideas and things like that. I've had this conversation with a couple of developers I work with where they've been trying to do good things and it ends up being scope creep. I'm like, guys, write it down. It's like, that's why I keep a notebook with me all the time. Write it down so that you can focus on the work you're doing and it doesn't distract you. Because I tell them, because they're like, well, I'll just hop over and I'll put in a tech debt ticket for it. I was like, no, don't do that. That's going to take you away from the work you're doing. Write it down. When you stop the work you're doing, then go put that that in. Because all you need is that, hey, do this, do this, do this, that task list or to-do items. And then you can go write stories about them. But if you stop to do that every time you come up with one, it's going to detract just as bad as doing it in the moment. And scope creep. Yeah. And you got to also bear in mind, like you got several people here, right? So let's say that you got a half dozen people in the room and let's, let's lowball the developer's salaries significantly and say they're making 50 K a year, right? Which is totally not what's happening in the U S <laughs> but okay. That's roughly 25 bucks an hour per person. And you got six people in there, right? Mm-hmm. So hundred and, 50 bucks an hour is what you're spending with that low ball salary. So yeah. what is that a minute? Every little deviation is just money going into a hole. So you really, really, really want to you know, keep a tight rein on that because otherwise you're not going to be allowed to continue with this experiment when you need to do it. Right. So that also kind of ties into the next thing, which is the role switching breaks and distractions. Nobody should be struck driving for too long the driver gets tired and they start making mistakes but the mob also gets distracted so when you switch people out it's like it refocuses everybody again on on what's going on even if they're not the driver well it keeps that fear of being the driver yeah or that desire to be the driver yeah and the other thing too is most of the time people know or have some idea of what their team members weaknesses are And if they're sitting there watching one team member work for a long time, they're kind of inured to that. And so when you switch it out, now they got to think about this new one. Yeah. And it just keeps everybody on their toes a little bit better. Also, it reduces annoyance because you got a team member who chronically misspells. I've worked with a guy like that. Or doesn't put semicolons into their JavaScript React code. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody just twisted off. I heard it. (laughs) I have to deal with that sometimes. Uh, Anyway, not at work, but on my side stuff. Anyway, so generally, 
you're going to want to switch roles about every 15 to 30 minutes. Yeah, and that sounds like a really short period of time, but you've got to think how stressful it is to have a whole bunch of people watching what you're doing and talking at you. Oh, and like there are some people who will absolutely love it. Not many. Yeah, I've known one or two. Yeah, there are some who who will absolutely love that and will want to stay longer. Most everyone will want to be ready to move on. Yeah. But even when you do have someone on your team who wants to stay there, it's good to keep them moving, like rotating through. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where the the, uh, dose makes the poison. Yeah. And like, what is the LD50 for this particular task? (laughs) Right. And I want to be below that. So like if half your team is going to crack in 15 minutes, that probably needs to be the length of your time so that you're not really uh, ruining people's day. And in addition to role switching, you're going to want to have short breaks every so often. People have biological needs they have to handle. They have phone calls. They've got other stuff. Uh, If you don't give the breaks, the breaks will be kind of ad lib and they'll start intruding on your actual work and they'll end up being destructive to the team. This is especially true if you've got somebody from management or somebody who gets a lot of emails from outside your department in the call with you or in the, in the room with you, their stuff will start disrupting very quickly. You either have to have a place to put the distractions or the distractions will put themselves wherever they want to go. It's the same thing. Like you want to time limit how long each person is in a role, but you also want to time box the entire session. Yes. Cause I've, I've had to do that in the past with developers I've worked with. I mean, I've worked with some really awesome people But sometimes, like, if I didn't say, hey, I've got to end at this specific time, they would just keep going. And I had one coworker recently, he and I were working on some stuff, and he's like, isn't it about time for you to your day to wrap up? And I was like, yeah, but I had to take a little extra at lunch for a doctor's appointment, so I'm cool for another 30 minutes. You know, that kind of thing. But, like, that garnered a lot of respect from me when he he recognized hey we're he's like I work later than you but I know you're probably just staying on to because what we're working on is like I already respected the guy but that like even brought more so yeah and the the frequent breaks is also kind of important like you don't necessarily know what's going on with your coworkers so like if you have a coworker that's got IBS or that, you know, they got some kind of medical thing going on where, hey, I, I need to step away frequently. Making that less obvious is going to make them more comfortable, which is what you really want in a, a session like this. Yeah. And you also really want to avoid distractions in general. So the mob should not be on their phones or communicating and chat with people outside the team. You know, that needs to happen either during breaks or they need to leave the room. Don't be standing there on your phone flipping around. Because everybody else will see that and they'll think it's okay. And then pretty soon the whole team is distracted and you're just wasting the whole team's time. Oh, man. I'll tell you, phones have been... Well, I was out Friday night in Nashville doing a little people watching. Yeah, it's gotten bad. People are so boring now. Like, they used to be interesting. Now they're heads down on their phones the whole time. And it's like, even when you're sitting on the second floor and you can see what's on their phones... They're just scrolling through like Facebook or Instagram or something. Sitting 
in a bar at a table with five or six other people watching a show. Everyone's on their phones. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it's really strange. And it's almost like a coping mechanism too, for a lot of people. It, it, it is. It's yeah. You, you get a Gantt rant and a Burns, Burns something. We got to find out. Babble. Burns babble. I don't know. I don't know. We got to have some kind of alliteration there. We do need it. So the thing with the roll switching and the breaks and stuff, the Pomodoro techniques works really well for this. You know, if you're already doing that in your normal team structure, or if several people are, yeah, then they're already used to that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you can do take a break every three switches or something. Let's say you're switching at you know 15 minute intervals. Well, that's a break every 45 minutes. Yeah, which by the way is not the like I think the default Pomodoro. I remember what the default is. Is it like 25 minutes? 25. 25 on, 5 off. I did like two or three sessions of that. And I switched it to 45 on and 15 off. Just like that fixed my focus quite a bit. So I, I can't ever remember what the actual default is supposed to be because I don't do it. It's 25 on and 5 off. And the thing about that is, I mean, we did an episode on the Pomodoro Technique a while back. And I don't remember if we talked about this. Yeah, we did. I wrote it. I remember it. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I remember writing the episode, but uh, the interesting thing about it is that 25 minutes, that's the suggested like average time for people. So some people are, it's going to be better for them to have longer, depending on what you're doing too. And some people it's going to be better to have less, Right. but that 25 minutes is sort of like, you were talking about the LD 50. It's kind of like that. It's like, Hey, the majority of people, this is the, the optimum. So this is a good place to start. And then if it's too long, you cut it back a little bit. And then if it's not enough, then you add more time to it. You adjust based on that. But I think the 25 minutes was because that's how long the actual, the original tomato timer went was for 25 minutes. Yeah, I believe so. And I can't remember what it was to cook either. Tomatoes, maybe? It might have been. I don't, I don't know. Do you, I'm just trying to think what would take 25 minutes. I don't know. I just no, that's what they said. Like the the actual little timer that that was used originally, that was in the shape of a tomato. It was twenty five minutes, and that may have just been the maximum on the timer too. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Was that was the maximum on it's, that time? It's kind of like one of those things. That like uh, I paid for the whole speedometer. I'm going to use it. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of speedometers, there are some tool requirements that you need to kind of get straight before you start on a mob programming session. First of all, you need to have one workstation on which the work actually occurs, but that workstation either needs a second monitor, which is a duplicate of the first, or a projector. There's some people that really, really don't like having their back turned to people that are looking at them, looking over their shoulder. They just can't handle that. And so you, you may need to have you know, some other kind of setup. You also, depending on how big the team is, that may be actually necessary from you know, physics because you can't fit that many people in that space. I remember doing this when back when we were going into the office one day a week. Sometimes we get together and we'd work through stuff as a team. And we would, like whoever was driving, would just plug their laptop into the projector. And then when we'd, we'd trade off, it would just be like handing the HDMI cord over. Yeah. I've also seen it where people like physically just switch seats. So there's a computer there that people are working on. I've seen that work. I feel like if you have, like if your entire team is very, very comfortable with the defaults in VS Code or Visual Studio that, and they don't change anything ever, 
then maybe I don't work with those kind of people for the most part. Like, I don't think I've ever worked. Yeah. With, yeah. It's like a dark matter developer thing. So it's kind of common in, in big companies more than anything else. I can kind of see that. Yeah. Bigger companies having that. But I mean, I can't stand the brightness. Yeah. Same here. It hurts my eyes. One of my coworkers screen shares. I have to like night mode. Yeah. I'm like, how in the world can you do that? It, it literally hurts my eyes. I have to dim my monitor. Yeah. I don't understand how they do it either. I think a lot of them are sitting in very, very well lit rooms. And so with the background light, it's not like that. But I'm like, I don't want to be in a, a bright light cube farm type environment ever. So I don't know. It's strange. I prefer to work by lamplight. If I could get away with working by candlelight, I would. But people might think me weird for having that many candles in one room. Yeah. <laughs> You're making an offering to Microsoft. <laughs> I'm a Mac boy now. Oh, Mac boy. Uh-huh. Oh. What did Mac developers use before candles? Lamps. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Take that. So there is an all, you know, alternative. You can do this by way of screen share, but it's usually better to have everyone in the same room unless your team is very disciplined or, you know, hey, you're geographically distributed and you just can't be in the same room. So I have done mob programming remotely, especially during COVID. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have too. Well, that's when I did. Honestly, I did more mob programming during COVID than I did before. You had to get a room. Well, you had to get a room, but it was more pair. It was like someone would, when we were in the office every day, they would just come over to your cubicle and just be like two of you working on it together. And the teams that were on were usually like two, maybe three programmers. So it was very rare. We had more than a few people working on the same project anyway. But uh, even when we did have our big stuff, it was fairly rare that we did a big mob programming thing. Even when we're in the office once a week, but COVID hit when I changed jobs that was a different kind of structure there. But also, we had to do the online remote mob programming, and it worked. Yeah, I will say this. It's really good for working with new developers, new juniors. Yeah, or people that just joined the team. Yeah. Yeah. So I was new to the team as the lead, and I was leading a team of two juniors who had been there for a little bit, but... um when I started doing mob programming with them, they both really liked it. And I got a lot of compliments on that because they said they liked to see me make mistakes. Yeah. And how you recover from it. Yeah. Which I think is the thing that's lacking in most developer training right now too. It is. It is because a lot of the tutorials and stuff, it doesn't show you. They compared me to one. I've got it written down somewhere. One that they both really liked. And he did that where like it wasn't pre-canned stuff. He literally was coding and would make mistake and like, all right, let's solve this and figure this mistake out and move forward. That's what Rob Connery used to do a lot of. That's who it was. Yeah. That's who they, they referenced. Yeah. That's what they talked about. And it was like, yeah. Yeah. Rob knew what he was doing as far as like making sure people understood what he was doing. Yeah. I was just literally making mistakes when I was programming with them and I didn't do that on purpose until I found out that it was helpful. And I'm like, okay, well, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing if that's working for you guys. Yeah. So 
it, it may also be wise to have a whiteboard handy. I just bought a whiteboard. My old one was starting to fall apart. I haven't put this one up because I don't really have the wall space for it at the moment. When I move into my new office, I will. But um, depending on the tasks you're trying to complete, really, I mean, whiteboards can be really, really useful. And uh, like if you're trying to explain structure to someone, sometimes the task list can be on there too. And, you know, people get that, that little dopamine hit from checking something off the list. Yeah. There are cases where it's useful. It's just you got to watch because there's some people that overuse the whiteboard instead of other things that work better. Mm-hmm. So next, we're going to talk about the role of the navigator. Not a movie. Flight of the Navigator. Flight of the Navigator. That's it. And I knew it was something about the navigator. Well, I'm not about a kid who gets like kidnapped by aliens or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Ish. See, I remember. I remember. Yeah. And fly alien craft. Oh, I thought it was cool as a kid. Yeah. Anyway, the navigator's job is to give the driver instructions and help the mob review the code as it's being written. Right. So this is basically a programmer wrangler. <laughs> Effectively, they're trying to get everybody somewhat going in the same direction <laughs> and pass the instructions on to the, the person doing the code. So you're basically trying to herd cats who are all wearing wolf t-shirts. Right. Something crazy like that. And it also means clearly passing instructions to the driver because it is pretty hard when you're trying to code and you're trying to think through something complex to have people talking at you over the top of that. And so you need to have somebody just sort of going, okay, do this thing next. Here's the next piece. You know, let's go into that because you will have distracting conversations even if you try to keep it to a minimum. You know, it's just the way people are. Yeah, I mean, and then you have that sort of one point you like two people can be over here discussing something coming up and figuring out the best, like going back and forth, figuring out the best way to do it. And then when it gets to that point, they can tell the navigator who has been feeding information to so that the driver doesn't have to hear all their back and forth. Right. And doesn't have to listen to it is the main thing. So given the the navigator role, let's talk a little bit about the mob's role. The mob should be paying attention to the code being written. That sounds kind of trite, but I guarantee you that if you have a mob programming session, this is going to be your biggest problem mm-hmm. because watching somebody else code can be pretty boring, especially if they're not very fast. When I work with people who use the mouse a lot, it drives me crazy just how slow everything is. I mean, they haven't mastered their IDE shortcuts. It's like watching someone play a video game or the Mandalorian season three, which is like watching seriously. There's a lot of potential, but the stories I'm like, have we lost the ability to tell a story? That's not a video game script. (laughs) Yes, we have. Um, (laughs) That's it. Like it's literally like watching the show is like watching someone else play a video game. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have the same phenomenon in books. They can't make books now as much that wouldn't make a good movie. Can you imagine like Herman Melville making a video game? (laughs) Uh, I mean, the thing is the, the problem is a lot of video game, like video games are basically the last bastion of creativity. It seems like in the, you in the entertainment media, because everybody's just copying and repeating stuff like remaking stuff that's already been made 20 times. Yeah. I mean, how many dunes are there now? Well, I mean, you can't take risks. Yeah, I do too. And the new one's coming out this September. 
Just so you know. I, know, I can't wait. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. So back to the mob's role. The mob can also assist the driver by finding relevant information online or in their local system. So for instance, I need to know what field that is and which table it's in or how to get there from this place in the table graph. You may send somebody to go find that stuff for you. So it's probably good for the mob to actually have a computer or two available to them, if not everybody having a computer, just to facilitate that. They should also be coming up with ways to test the code that's currently being written. Right. So they should be looking for, hey, you you made a black box here that's untestable. Yeah. Because that's going to come up and that's going to be important. And it's hard to prove that your work actually worked until you've tested it. Yeah, and it depends on like what your purpose for the mob programming is. If it's like you're working with where I was uh, as lead developer working with junior developers, a lot of times I would let them finish out what they were doing, like let them solve the problem. Yeah, and then work with them on testing it. Yeah, and then I'd be like, all right, how are you going to test this? Yeah. And let them find, oh, hey, that's not really testable. So it's like, all right, you solved the problem. Now let's refactor and make it, like let's make the solution better. Because sometimes it's just enough to get the solution. And then like, it depends on the the complexity of the problem. Sometimes it's like, hey, especially when you're very new to programming, you just got to solve a problem and then you can optimize it. Yeah, well, like for the junior devs, it is a learning experience for how to code better. For the mid-level and senior devs, it's a training session on how to mentor people. And for the more, you know, the most senior slash team leads, it is a training session on how to actually manage people. Yeah. Right. And you're actually getting that as part of this other thing that is, you know, the ostensible reason you're doing it. Yeah. So speaking of that, let's go ahead and get into the benefits of mob programming. First off, other than what Will said about what everyone's getting out of it at the different levels, the feedback cycle is very fast and you don't have to wait for someone to be freed up to answer a question because they're literally sitting in the room with you. Right. And they are focused on this thing versus whatever else they have going on. Yeah. It also allows for very fast cross-training of team members because you're in the room with an expert. When you get stuck, they can get you out of it quickly. And also team members can work towards their own strengths. So when you come upon something that you have someone who's really good at, you can let them sit in the driver's seat and drive while everyone else is learning from them. Right. And you're not making them drive at the thing they're not good at, which is also a big help because, you know, if you're doing kind of cross-cutting type work, you know, or full stack or whatever, your front end person probably is a little bit jittery about the database and vice versa. Yeah. Now that said, if you're doing it as a training, it's a different scenario. The other thing too, is they tend to get less nervous about it once they see how a professional deals with the problems. I mean, it was like the stuff when you were learning Gatsby, right? Like you, you kept running into a wall and when we sat down and we worked through a few things, it's like, oh, it's a matter of understanding the mindset. Like once I, with Gatsby, for me, it was, I wasn't seeing this as a blogging platform because I wasn't building a blog. Right. But it's, it is a blogging platform. And when I realized, hey, 
this is a blogging platform. And if I treat it as such, then I can get it to do what I want it to do. Right. I was trying to, I don't really know what I was trying to, I was trying to treat it as like a spa-ish. Yeah. Type thing. Because that's what I've been, I've been dealing with a lot lately. So. Yeah. And, and you'll run into that a lot, right? Like, you know, I've seen designers or design type people that are more front endy types. They'll see something like, oh, I can't insert a record into this database table because of a foreign key constraint violation. Well, they see the word violation and they think they really screwed something up. It's like, no, something worked like it was supposed to. This is not a problem. It just tells you, hey, I've got a little thing to fix. It's not like you broke the thing. Right. And your database developer is going to try to center a div at some point and probably, well, they'll probably still pull their hair out at that point. But there are things where it's like, hey, you're actually really close to fixing the problem. You just don't know that one little thing that makes you realize it. And so if you see somebody else do it, you can pick it up on it quicker. Mob program also does an excellent job making sure standards are met since the team's in the room and they're going to call you out. Trust me, there will be someone who calls you out if you miss a standard. Yeah. And there's always that dude on the team. You just need to make sure he's got a full pot of coffee. Yeah. And the thing is, sometimes you go against the standard because there's a valid reason. And this is this is something that I've been telling people, I guess, over the last few years. It's like you follow the standard until you can't, and then you have a very good reason for not. Right. And you comment that and you document that why you didn't follow the standard there. Yeah. Mob programming is also very flexible in regards to team members being out because work can usually continue without them because everyone is informed and has worked on the code being written. That assumes multiple sessions over multiple days, obviously. We had an issue today where like half our team was out sick and I finished something up yesterday and I was like, all right, well, I can't really grab any of these next stories because the one person who's out sick, he had a merge conflict and I need his stuff in there before I can even start the, that. So I went and found a bug that needed to be fixed and worked on that today. But that happens. And the other thing it does, too, is it it helps with team bonding. Like, your team really gets to know each other pretty well. Everyone's strengths and weaknesses when you sit in a room together and you do this. Yep. Now, there are some downsides to mob programming. And the first of which is that a lot of developers really, really don't like group work. You know, a lot of times the developer was the smart kid on the team in high school group projects. And they know that when they do group work, they do all the work. Yep. And that plus social stuff, plus just not wanting to be around a bunch of people all day, it can really wear on a lot of people. So this is something to kind of be aware of. Yeah. I mean, as outgoing and extroverted as I am, I don't really care that much for group work because I can't focus as much because when I'm around people, I want to socialize. Also, it can be really slow, especially when you consider how many employee hours are involved. For what you're getting out of it. Yeah. So again, if you got a half dozen people in the room for 10 minutes, if you didn't produce what one person could produce in an hour, I mean, that's kind of what you're going against for the spreadsheet people that are the pencil pushers that are, that are looking at it. This is a problem. It can also be really difficult to coordinate and keep everyone focused, especially in a remote environment. 
and even worse if teams are in multiple time zones or when there are software issues. It's like if you're on teams and you're screen sharing to do this, it can be really challenging for people. Now, this technique is also not good for people who don't have good people skills. Yeah. And those people exist and they will always exist. And you're likely to have one on your team at some point in your career, probably more than once. And if not, you know, I might be looking for work. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I theoretically have people skills. I just don't use them. No, but I mean, like legitimately, there are going to be people that are just, they're either really blunt. I've worked with developers who were otherwise good who would go, well, that's a stupid way to do that. In the room with somebody who just wrote that code. Yeah. And, you know, that person that wrote the code was actually way more experienced and was correct. So when you got those, that is a, a really big problem. But it's actually a really big problem anyway. It's just you aren't aware of it yet. Mm-hmm. The other thing it does is it will expose the weaknesses of each team member. And some of them are not going to like that. Yeah. Um, if you're humble and you're honest. Yeah. Yeah. Some people have the attitude of showing my weakness so I can turn it into a strength. And some people have the attitude of, I don't have any weaknesses. Look over there. There's not any weaknesses here. Or show me your weakness so I can turn it into a weapon. There's also those people. And people are afraid of those people for for good reason. And so that is going to be something that you have to be aware of. If you have a well-adjusted, psychologically healthy team, then maybe it's not as big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Also, it ties up a lot of people and maybe difficult to prove the value Again, for the spreadsheet people. Right. And some organizations really let those people run the whole show. Yeah. And run slash ruin the show. The other thing is, if there are other interpersonal challenges in the team, it is going to exacerbate them. So if you got clicks, if you got people that, that naturally butt heads a lot, uh, if you got people that are arrogant, make enemies, mm-hmm. they're going to do it all there. Yeah. Um, it's actually a very, very good way to bring a lot of stuff to a head if you need to do that at some point. Yeah. So the best type of work for mob programming, first off, cross-functional tasks, like getting the back end to work with the front end. Like I've worked on projects where we had a back end team and a front end team. And there were times where the leads got together and there were times where we had the whole, like all six of us on a call together working on stuff, getting things working together. Yeah. And the same thing will happen with the back end in a database or with a testing suite and anything. You know, if you've got a, a dedicated QA group, getting DevOps involved, that may be a, a useful place to do this. Another type of work that is useful is stuff like building UI components where not everybody is actually sure what is wanted yet. So I've seen teams do this, especially with, like site layouts. You know, you got the left-hand bar, you got the title bar. Okay, we're going to do the menu here. Oh, that's going to look weird here. And having a bunch of people kind of talk through it and think through it that are in different parts of the system, that has been really helpful if you've got not necessarily like cross-functional teams, but like chunks of the app that belong to different teams. But the overall structure does not, you know, it's it's owned by all of them. Then you want to have all those teams in the room to make that top-level structure. Another is bootstrapping a new system where everyone needs to understand it, but further tasks are all dependent on this work. 
yeah, this is really good. I've done this several times where it's just yep. like, hey, we're all going to hop on the call here and we're all going to work on this together so that everyone knows the way things are. Yeah. Yeah, it's reasonable. And it's also good during team formation and norming. So if you've got a brand new team, getting everybody together, together to mob program something it may not be that the thing you're producing is that valuable, but you want the team cohesion and you want the process understanding and the communication to happen. The main task becomes secondary at that point. And I've done that quite a few times. Oh, yeah. Sometimes complicated bug fixes that require like rewriting big things. You don't have that on here, but I was thinking about sometimes where one developer would call another one and then they would call me and it would be like, because there'd be three of us on the team, it'd be all three of us working on the same problem. And it it went from pair programming to mob programming because we just needed to suss this out and figure it out. Yeah, especially tracing things through logs, uh, you know, in a cloud environment. The place I've done this the most is like tracking down memory leaks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or database performance issues or those kind of things where nobody really has an approach that can see the whole thing but everybody's got an approach that can see pieces and so you can get it all together and find the answer. All right. So finally, introducing mob programming. First off, don't sell it as being resource efficient because it's really not. It is efficient for getting a single task done with all points considered quickly, but it is not a resource efficient method. Right. And bear in mind, resource efficiency is not always the thing you want, right? Sometimes you just need to get somewhere. And the metaphor I've seen to explain this is the first minute and a half of a rocket taking off is not the most efficient use of fuel, but it is absolutely necessary to get to the place where the fuel efficiency actually happens. And so if you put it that way, it kind of, it might get the spreadsheet folks off of you. It probably won't because Excel doesn't support metaphors. The other thing too is choose a task that's actually appropriate. So things like bootstrapping a new system can be a really good choice, both because they typically block all other work and because everyone will have input and is waiting on some things to be decided before they can even start thinking about the next steps. Also, welcome stakeholders to the room if they have appropriate technical knowledge, but make sure to leave the hierarchy out of the room. You want collaboration, not administration. Right. And sometimes, you know, in some organizations, this can mean that the project manager is not allowed in the room because they're going to get in the way. Now, don't introduce this if you have interpersonal problems that are already apparent on your team because it is going to make the problems worse. And then management will associate it with mob programming instead of the problems that they created by hiring people that can't get along with each other. Because, you know, oh, that's it's because this thing over here. Never mind that there's, you know, five years of these two button heads beforehand. It's this new technique you did that showed it to us. Yeah, it's the the shoot the messenger. Yeah, it's it's like the camera adds five pounds of weight. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it just lets you see it. Yeah. There's some like lens things. I, I, I know. Yeah. Have a clearly defined small and relevant scope for the work. Scope creep is bad by itself. But it's incredibly wasteful when the entire team is tied up in it. Yeah. And these are mainly things, if you notice, most of these things are things you have to avoid. 
when selling this because it is a hard proposition to mm-hmm. convince management that this needs to be done. Yeah. It's mostly how am I going to address the things that the spreadsheet people are not going to like. So guys, mob programming is a seldom used but often powerful approach to getting software written. While it's not always the best choice, it can be very useful for improving team collaboration or for exploring areas where there are gaps in the team's knowledge. That's all we got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.